From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Craig Sauer, Senior Editor for CUNA's Credit Union Magazine. This week's topic is marketing and sales. My CUNA colleague, Bill Merrick, talks with Sam Malakarjanan, an executive strategist with HubSpot. HubSpot is a developer and marketer of software products for inbound marketing and sales. Melikarjanan is also the author of the book, How to Sell Better Than Amazon. He spoke at the CUNA Marketing and Business Development Council Conference earlier this year. What is your background and how did you get into digital marketing? So I got into digital marketing in kind of a weird way. Um, I was selling health insurance. for a brokerage based out of Jacksonville, but I was based out of Tampa. Uh, I didn't have an office, so I started selling health insurance out of the um, VIP lounge at a cigar bar, which was empty during the day, uh, just because paying for coffee and cigars was cheaper than renting out an office for just myself. Um, and <clears throat> the cigar industry was so behind when it came to e-commerce and digital technology uh, that the owner of that store asked me to help him with it. Um, and I was generally familiar with you know the technology. Obviously, I was a digital native, and I've been building websites uh, on my own for years. Um, but I, uh, I ended up starting to help them, um, that store, and then a bunch of other uh, cigar manufacturers and retailers with uh, with their digital marketing. So I sort of ended up into it accidentally just because I was selling health insurance from a cigar lounge. Can you tell me a little bit about your role at HubSpot now? So now I'm a, I'm a marketing fellow at HubSpot. So my primary job is to teach and write and speak and do research to help us keep our customers ahead of the curve. Um, so I teach at Harvard twice a year. I teach at the Division of Continuing Education. Um, I teach a digital marketing course. Um, and then I speak at lots of events, like the CUNA event uh, in, in San Antonio later this week. Um, and then I also write for thinkgrowth.org and do research to try and figure out you know, the world is changing a lot faster than it used to, uh, thanks to the advances in technology and processing power, but also thanks to the connections between people. Uh, competition is stiffer and it's happening at a faster pace than it did maybe 30 or 40 years ago. Um, so I spent a lot of my time researching and studying the market and then turning that into theories and frameworks that people who read our content or people who are our customers can use to help themselves stay ahead of the curve. So that's what I do at HubSpot. You've said that a, a lot of marketers and salespeople describe each other negatively. Why do you think that is? What's the deal between marketers and salespeople? Yeah. So I'll start that off with a bit of a confession. Um, I was really annoying people uh, in malls that try and sell you cell phones. So my confession is I used to train those people um, <laughs> before I actually I got into uh, health insurance sales. My, my background was in um, in direct sales and cold calling and in you know mall sales and, and this sort of very outbound methodology of, of very irritating sales. Um, I mean, I've sold everything from cigars at a flea market, like I said, to health insurance or, or cell phones. Um, and it's very, you know, in those or in those trainings, we literally show clips from the movie Boiler Room and the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. You know, it's always be closing. Uh, you know, put that coffee down. Coffee is for closers. Like this was the culture that today's sales leaders were raised in. Was always be closing. Um, you know, you solve problems with grit. Right, you don't you don't solve them with teamwork. You solve it's it's a it's an individual sport. Sales is an individual sport. 
Um, and we generally relied on salespeople to do their own prospecting. You know, we did do advertising and stuff, but we relied on sales to do their own prospecting. And they were really 100% accountable for their success. And what we've learned since then is that's not really the most efficient way to do it. Or the most efficient way is to have a marketing team that doesn't just sit in the corner playing with crayons, like making brochures. We have a marketing team that's directly responsible for teeing up good conversations between a sales rep and a prospect. Uh, and that's sort of, that's the best way to do it, but still the, the culture, the culture of grit that sales has hasn't caught up with this idea that, you know, communicating with my marketing team, experimenting with my marketing team, working with my marketing team is actually going to help me be successful. Um, and then at the same time, the marketing team, first of all, they don't speak that language of grit. They tend to be more creative types, more analytical types. Um, and they also, they look at the big picture in the long term, uh, whereas sales is the smallest picture you could possibly have, right? It's two people learning to trust one another and learning from each other. Uh, whereas the marketing team is, you know, 5 million visits and then 500,000 leads and then 50,000 opportunities and then 5,000 customers. Um, and that's not the world that sales lives in. So a lot of it is just this sort of differentiation in background uh, where sales doesn't think that marketing is part of their job or that, that marketing helps them in any way. Um, last time I, I talked about this, I literally had someone tell me they hate marketing because marketing just gets in the way. Um, and meanwhile, marketing is very frustrated because there is this new way to do sales and marketing. There's this new reality where 60% of the sales process is over before a prospect starts to talk to a sales rep, and marketing is engaging during that 60%, but then the handoff is broken because of the background and because of the culture. So there's frustration on both sides and bridging that gap that, that's going to fix those negative feelings. How can marketers prove the value that they provide to their organizations? There's, there's two bits to that. Um, one is one is the very hard science of closed loop marketing. Um, most marketing is in some way measurable um, nowadays, much more so than it was, you know, even just 20 uh, 20 years ago or, or even just 10 years ago. It's a lot more measurable. Um, and now that's not to say that marketing has become like a hard science. I I often joke about business people having physics envy. Um, and when I teach my, when I teach my class, I, I talk about, you know, I can stand in, I, I could drop a pen and a hundred times out of a hundred, it's going to fall and hit the ground. Um, I could stand in Harvard Square handing out a hundred one dollar bills and at least like 20 or 30 people are going to tell me to, to go away and call me a chow to head. Right? It's just social science is not a hard science, um, the way we think. So there, it is a lot more measurable. It's still not fully measurable. Um, uh, but we can, you know, measure traffic. We can see if any of that traffic turned into leads, either now or later. Did the content that we generate influence the sales process? Um, did a con specific conversion point, a specific type of, bringing a specific type of lead, that turn into revenue? Um, so measuring the impact that we have on lead generation, on opportunity generation, and on revenue is a really, really important part of showing the impact that we have. Like I said, it's never 100%. Uh, it's or it's very rarely, right? The, the closest you can get is you bid on PPC, somebody goes to an e-commerce site and then buys directly from the cart. That's very measurable, but even they might have seen something in advance, et cetera, and you're not going to be 100% sure. But the closed-loop measuring, don't try and do it perfectly, but do it, right? Model your funnel, traffic, traffic to leads, leads, 
need the customer, customer to customer value. Um, that's sort of the hard science part. Most marketers still don't do that. They might measure traffic. Uh, the vast majority of marketers still just look at the number of leads generated. They don't actually look at did it lead to close lost opportunity or close one opportunities? Did it lead to revenue? That's the, but that's the hard number piece. Marketers should do better. The soft number piece is that marketers need to develop a relationship inside their organization. Um, they hold the keys to a lot of things that other pieces of the company need. They've got data, they've got artists, they've got video, they've got all this sorts of stuff that the sales team needs. Um, the sales team needs data, the sales team needs blog articles that, that are designed to convert people and answer specific questions. The sales team needs graphics, et cetera. The sales team needs marketing automation to just help them follow up with leads faster. And the same with the customer success team, right? The customer success team needs all that same stuff to educate and make the customer successful so that they continue generating revenue for the company. Uh, the marketing org generally is the piece of the company that owns all of those resources, but they don't make those resources accessible. So if you want to prove the value that you have, measure your impact on customer acquisition, but then also take those assets that you have and proactively push them towards the sales and customer success organization. You should care about the lead to close rate, and that should be a number that a CMO solves for. You should care about customer retention and average order value and average customer lifetime value, and that should be a metric that the CMO cares about. They're not responsible for it because there are obviously other executives that are responsible for that, but it's something that they need to care about and they need to be proactive in. Um, it'll help drive more value for the org, but also it'll help bring the company together. Right? We get love letters from our VPs of sales at HubSpot, and it's the weirdest thing. Now they, they're like, oh, you know, we had another great month, and it wouldn't happen without you guys teeing up great conversations. It is bizarre, right, because at most organizations, that tension is, there's a lot of tension there. There's not a lot of love. But it's, it's literally just because when we were starting, the sales team trusted us to try something new and to experiment and to tee them up with good conversations. Um, and now we've built that trust, and we can, and we can grow and accelerate. So do the hard measuring, do the closed-loop measuring, and then also – you know, it's not always the get 10 million views on YouTube thing that you should be focusing on. Like, help improve the, the speed to connect rate for new leads, you know, from 72 hours to 12 hours. Uh, and you just had a huge impact on the business, particularly with the sales org and built a lot of trust there. So what are some other new digital marketing approaches that excite you right now? Anything that you find especially interesting? Yeah, the things... The things that I really find interesting are, yes, tying all the business together in one, right? Marketing and sales add up to acquisition, and then customer success is customer retention and monetization. Like, all of those pieces, those engine cylinders should be firing in sequence. Um, that's very exciting, but that's actually, even though most people aren't doing it, it's already an old trick. Um, the next thing that excites me is website personalization uh, and mobile personalization, just the customer experience personalization. Um, you know, you and I are two different people. We, we probably have some things in common, but we're different people. Our internet should be different, right? I look at companies like one of my favorite business models is Netflix because I've rated over 800 movies for Netflix. And most of us would kill to have our customers fill out an 800-question survey. Uh, but I did it for Netflix because I know that they're going to use that information to make my experience better. So, like, Netflix doesn't say, you know, you 
should watch sci-fi. Netflix says, like, you should watch gritty, war-based sci-fi set on an alien planet at night with a strong female lead. Right? Like, you know, it's exactly, like, the kind of movie. Like, here's Alien. Like, here's exactly the kind of movie that, that we think you're going to like. And so if you were going to try and take me away as a customer from Netflix, you'd have to, like, custom generate a movie and beam it into my brain every month for a dollar or something. Right? Like, it would be very, very hard. And it's because they're, they're, they put the customer contact at the center of the universe and all of the data points feed that. And their goal is to make their website, make their service, make everything from acquisition through retention, make all of that very, very customized so that you're literally, we could log into Netflix and it would look entirely different. Um, and that's, that's the way it should be. It should be that way if you're selling mortgages. It should be that way if you're, if you're doing uh, streaming video. Um, and then this, the third piece that's, that's particularly interesting, kind of buzzwordy right now and, and not super well understood, but the, the advent, the, the true advent of cognitive computing and the impact that that's having on marketing um, is astonishing, right? So, like, once, once Watson really cracked that, uh, that ability to understand unstructured content, right, so read a book and then answer questions based on it, um, is, you know, is sort of the, what Watson can do and other AI technologies can do. Huge, yeah. right? So, like now, you know, you got a company like HubSpot, and we've we've written six thousand blog articles or seven thousand blog articles at this point. Um, and yes, there's, you know, we rely on Google to understand somebody's question and understand our content and make that connection. But we also have to do it ourselves. So we have chatbots, and we have, you know, better recommendation algorithms and better email nurturing to try and make it so that sort of like what Netflix does, but a much harder challenge than, you know, um, just telling you what movie to watch, right? We really have to understand what your problem is and and deliver you a solution. So um, AI is still in its infancy. You, you can't see it right now, but every time I say AI, I'm doing air quotes. Um, <laughs> because, like, you know, there's a, a whole slew of Nobel Prize, Prizes sitting between us and, and AI. Um, but... The, the cognitive computing, the natural language processing, the, the neural networking, the stuff that we're able to do right now is going to fundamentally change the relationship between consumers and brands um, and what people expect of the relationship between that they have uh, between themselves and a brand. What advice would you offer credit unions about thriving in the digital age? One is, you know, one is obsess over customer-centric economics. And when I say customer-centricity, most people hear, like, the customer is always right, let's all be friends. That is not what I'm saying. The customer is very often wrong. Um, when I say customer-centricity, what I mean is that a type of customer is the unit of economic value that your business is designed to solve for. So I put money into acquiring a customer of a certain type, a certain buyer persona, and then my business model is designed to monetize that customer of that type over a period of time. Um, so this is where SaaS companies and recurring revenue companies are really, really good at and where transactional companies are really, really bad at, um, because it's less predictable than like a monthly subscription. Um, but you know, I like to use Starbucks as the example, you know, Starbucks has an average order value of about six bucks. Um, and their average customer lifetime value last time somebody measured it, measured it, uh, sorry, measured it was $14,000. If you're a Starbucks marketer, you're not putting in two bucks to sell a six dollar cup of coffee. You're putting in two thousand, three thousand, maybe five thousand dollars to acquire and retain a fourteen thousand dollar customer. 
Um, and that changes the way that we look at growth economics. It changes the way that we look at um, corporate strategy. It changes a lot of stuff. So it's not, and I won't name any names, but, you know, there are some financial institutions recently that have gotten in trouble, for example, really aggressive cross-selling. Um, what they're trying to do the wrong way is solve for that customer lifetime value thing. Um, what they should be doing, right, is if you can get good, like Netflix and everything else like that, um, at really understanding the customer, then you can get really, really good at upsell, cross-sell, resell. And that's what your compensation economics should be based around, not like the number of products held per customer, even though that is a variable in the math equation. It should be, you know, the deeper retention and customer insight metrics. Um, you know, I just, I tried to cancel DirecTV a while, a while ago, like last year or something like that. And when I was canceling them, they're like, well, you know, you live in Tampa and, uh, you know, we know that you're a Green Bay Packers fan because you said that last time you, you called in. Like, how are you going to watch the Packers games if you cancel this, you know, when NFL Sunday ticket? We don't want to have it. I'm like, that's a good point. Well, how am I going to watch the Green Bay Packers play without NFL Sunday ticket night? Uh, and I did eventually cancel them because I was moving, but I, I just got them back actually a couple of weeks ago, um, in, in my new place or in, in the RV that we have, um, because they're right. Like, I love the Packers and they know that about me and they can use that to retain me and to sell me more products. And then the thing that I really want to sell to people is this idea this, this understanding of the pace of change and how that changes the way we need to make decisions. Now, it used to be, you know, you go from, like, Homo erectus through to, you know, some, you know, 10,000 years ago or so. Like, not a lot changed. You know, and then if you took somebody, there's, there's a great article on this. Like, you take somebody from, uh, you know, ancient Egypt, you have to bring them to, like, the Middle Ages until something really has significantly changed. You bring somebody from 30 years ago or 40 years ago just into the future today and they would look around themselves and just see magic. Um, and the pace of exponential change, both technological, so the pace, you know, the performance of everything is doubling every year or every 18 months, and then also the connections between people. Um, you know, I never used to have, I never used to have to worry about like Lithuanian college students launching startups that are going to like destroy my company. Um, and now I do. It's something that keeps me up. And the way that's changed the way that we think is instead of, you know, you think of all of human history, not much has changed. You think of, I mean, the last 50 years of history, everything I use gets significantly and noticeably better every year. And now we're entering this new phase of the curve, the new, the new like, the far right piece of the hockey stick graph of the, of the exponential curve, where it's everything I know about the way everything is supposed to work may change every year. I have to adapt to that by starting from the assumption that everything that I know is wrong, right? And in the financial industry, particularly we, and economists and finance folks, like have extreme physics envy, right? Physics isn't changing, but business is a social science. And everything about social science, everything about the relationships between people, the relationships between brands, et cetera, all of that is fundamentally changing now, almost, you know, already almost every like two or three years. And that pace of change is going to continue to accelerate. So we've got to, Start from the perspective of everything I know is probably wrong. What do and and understanding and admitting that to myself now? How would I tackle this problem? How would I build a strategy around what I want to do? Thanks for listening to the CUNA News podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play, and you can connect with me on Twitter at CUNA Craig.